0: We're continuing with our studies in Genesis and we've reached chapter 11. We're looking at chapter 11, verse one to nine, the Tower of Babel. Tower of Babel, chapter 11, Genesis. What I like and what I feel is so important about doing consecutive um, preaching is it really is helpful if you know what's gone on before and you don't just parachute, uh, drop into uh, a passage of scripture. It's, especially for what we're looking at tonight, Babel, uh, it's really helpful if we've been on board the journey from, basically, from the Garden of Eden and that first sin. I can remember when um, I'm... off on a tangent here, but I can remember when I was seeking um, truth, and it was towards the end of my degree course, quite late in life, I was one of the older students, a mature student, and I came to faith in Christ by the grace of God, literally in the final months of my degree course. I'd already booked a holiday in the Algarve, Uh, with every hope and expectation that I'd, I'd get through my finals and I'd treat myself to a nice holiday in the Algarve. I spent the whole holiday reading my Bible uh, when I was on that holiday. That's all I wanted to do. I couldn't wait to get back to England to go back to the little chapel, a place like this actually, a Baptist chapel that I'd started going to. But why I'm telling you all this is because I can remember sitting at the poolside at the Algarve, we're absolutely glued to the Bible, and I was on that journey. I, I suppose perhaps we might suggest people start with John's Gospel or whatever. I started from Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1, and uh, it's, it's really good if you go on that journey uh, through the Scriptures from the beginning. can still remember, in, it'll be the next chapter actually when we get to it, uh, chapter 12 when Abraham gets his call and and he receives the promises from God and all of that is great but you need to, you don't just drop in on these passages, it's good if you can uh, work your way through the Bible systematically. Anyway, having said all that, last week we considered some of the things that happened immediately after the flood of water in Noah's time had abated and the ark was vacated by who? By Noah, by his three sons, Noah's wife and the three sons' wives. And also the various creatures that had entered into the ark in their pairs. One of the things that happened was that God blessed Noah and his sons and he said to them, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Should do, if you've worked your way through the Bible. Be fruitful, multiply and replenish the earth. This this evening, we shall be moving on in time about a hundred years from when Noah and his family vacated the ark. We move on a hundred years or thereabouts to Genesis chapter 11, which gives details of what that multiplication, be fruitful and multiply, What happened with that multiplication of people? What were they busy doing? We'll see that they built for themselves a city and a tower to make themselves a name and to keep them together. Back in those days there was only one language in the whole world which makes sense when you consider that those people they would stayed together as one people and they were all descendants as indeed we are now all descendants of Noah so it, it makes sense that they all had the same language however when the people built a city and a tower the Lord came down and he confounded or confused their language resulting in them having many different languages also As shall be seen, the Lord scattered the people abroad throughout the world. We'll read now our passage for consideration this evening. Genesis chapter 11, verses 1 through to 9. And the whole earth was of one language and of one speech. And it came to pass, as they journeyed from the east, that they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they dwelt there. And they said one to another, Go to, let us make brick, and burn them throughly. And they had brick for stone, and slime had they for mortar. And they said, Go to, let us build us a city and a tower, whose top may reach unto heaven, and let us make us a name, lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. <clears throat> and the Lord came down to see the city and the tower, which the children of men builded. And the Lord said, Behold, the people is one, and they have all one language, and this they begin to do, and now nothing will be restrained from them, which they have imagined to do. Go to, let us go down, and there confound or confuse their language, that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from thence upon the face of all the earth, and they left off to build the city. Therefore is the name of it called Babel, because the Lord did there confound the language of all the earth, and from thence did the Lord scatter them abroad upon the face of all the earth. And if you've got a a, a centre margin, you'll see that Babel uh, means confusion. So the Lord named the city that the people built for themselves, Babel, which means confusion. Verse 1 tells us that there was only one language in the world. However, in verse 9, it is written that the Lord confounded their one language. Let's have a look at it again. Verse 9, therefore is the name of it called Babel, because the Lord did there confound the language of all the earth, and from thence did scatter them abroad upon the face of all the earth. In verse 2, we're informed that all the people of the world were on a journey together until such time they dwelt in the land of Shinar. However, as a result of their rebellion against the Lord God, not only did the Lord confuse their one language, he scattered them abroad everywhere upon the face of the earth. And he named the city that they had built, from the, built for themselves in Shinar, Babel, known as Babylon or confusion. Again, we see that in verse 9. That explains how in the previous chapter... Chapter 10, it can be seen that there were many different lands, countries, ethnic groups with different languages. Do you get that? The the chapter before, not the chapter afterwards, the chapter before, chapter 10, we see all manner of countries, lands, kingdoms, and different languages. Just look at chapter 10 and verse 20. These are the sons of Ham after their families after their tongues, in their countries, and in their nations. So in chapter 10, the sons of Ham, you may well remember that Ham was one of Noah's sons. Yeah? And we already see in verse 20 there, that there's all the different tongues, countries, nations, or ethnic groups. That's what nations means, different ethnicities. And then look at uh, chapter 10, verse 31. (coughs) These are the sons of Shem. Again, this is another son of Noah. These are the sons of Shem, after their families, after their tongues, in their lands, after their nations. Again, all the different languages and nations, lands. And we see this before uh, what we're looking at tonight in chapter 11, where God confounds or confuses the one language and he scatters them abroad, uh, across the face of the earth. <clears throat> Therefore, chapter 11 gives details of the circumstances that resulted in all the different nations and different languages that can be seen in chapter 10 coming into existence. Just as Genesis chapter 11 explains chapter 10, so too does chapter 2 of Genesis explain chapter 1. In the chapter 1 of Genesis tells us that God made man in his image, male and female created he them. The details of how God made the first man and made the first women are then given to us in the next chapter, in chapter 2, where it can be seen that God formed Adam from the dust of the ground and he formed Eve from one of Adam's ribs coming back to today's considerations the details of what the inhabitants of the earth did which resulted in the lord confusing their language and scattering them is given to us in verses 3 and 4 we'll have a look at 3 and 4 again and they said one to another go to let us make brick and burn them thoroughly and they had brick for stone and slime had they for mortar. And they said, go to, let us build us a city and a tower whose top may reach unto heaven and let us make us a name lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. So this is what the people said and this is what they said about doing. Making the city in the land of Shinar and building their tower. They built themselves a city, in other words, a place where they would all live together as one people, with one language, and the focal point of that city would be what? The temple that they built. I say temple, I've given the game away, the huge tower that they built. Looking at the details of the tower, it says in verse 4 that they said, "'Go to, let us build us a tower, a city and a tower,' Whose top may reach unto heaven. Look carefully at that. Uh, don't, don't, don't just listen to me. I I'd, I'd like you to look at verse four. Look carefully at it because you may notice that the words may reach unto may reach they're in italics. Can you see that? Now that means that those words may reach have been added by the Bible translators. How about we read verse four without reading may reach? Well, leave out the italicized words and read it again. And they said, "Go to, let us make, uh, let us build us a city and a tower, whose top unto heaven. Not may reach unto heaven, but whose top unto heaven. Apparently, according to the, the the commentators, what that amounts to is that the tower." was in fact a temple, I think we could probably work that one out ourselves and the idea was that the top floor was a man-made heaven. It wasn't that the they thought they tried to make a tower that would literally reach up to heaven, the top floor, the top compartment was a man-made heaven, not intended to be where the Lord God or Jehovah God is enthroned, but rather where they imagined their pagan gods to be. According to answers in Genesis, that is exactly what ancient Mesopotamian ziggurat temple towers were for. That kind of tower stroke temple has got a name called a ziggurat, and there were many of them. There still are ruins of ziggurats in that part of the world The top compartment represented heaven. The inner walls, in all probability, were decorated with blue glazed tile with the sun, the moon and the five known planets, Mercury, Venus, Mars, Jupiter and Saturn, lined up along the plane of the zodiac. In the centre of the room would be their God seated upon a throne. I think it's important that we realise that they weren't trying to build a tower that would reach up to heaven where Jehovah God is enthroned. That wasn't their intention at all. They built themselves a temple of idolatry where they had their own pagan gods enthroned on the top floor. What can be deduced is that 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 ingenious building project of epic epic proportions was not innocent it was not an innocent attempt to reach the Lord with hearts filled with praise and with adoration rather it was a blasphemous effort to dismiss the only true God forevermore they had their gods installed in in a heaven that they had built with their own hands and it would seem that they imagined that by remaining together in a city They had strength in numbers to oppose Almighty God. Instead of acknowledging the Lord and honouring him, they said, Let us make us a name, lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. They had no interest in worshipping Almighty God. However, their plans were well and truly scuppered by the Lord, who came down and confounded their language and scattered them abroad. Verses 5 through to 8. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of men builded. And the Lord said, Behold, the people is one and they have all one language. And this they begin to do, and now nothing will be restrained from them which they have imagined to do. Go to, let us go down, and there confound their language, that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from thence, upon the face of all the earth, and they left off to build the city. God is almighty, and there is no place where he is not. Remember that because we do have this language that is, uh, helps us to understand things a little bit. We read in the Bible that, that, that heaven is God's throne. He's seated, uh, heaven is God's throne and the earth is his footstool. So that gives us an idea of something of just how great Almighty God is. But he is God. And, you know, right from the first time I read Hebrews chapter 1 where it reads about the, the Lord Jesus Christ upholding all things by the word of his power. I've always had that picture of Jesus holding the whole universe in the palm of his hand. I think that's a bit closer if you want to imagine just how great God is but even that doesn't even begin to um, tell us how great almighty God is. He's God and there is nowhere that God is not. But still we read here that God said, Behold, the people is one. They have one language. Go to let us go down. Okay, we see that there. And that's to help us with our understanding. Bearing that in mind, we can see in these verses, with Almighty God said to be going down, That is an expression that we can understand, something we can understand. But the point is that the Lord Lord intervened personally and he intervened decisively with the pride, the arrogance and the idolatry of those rebellious people in that city in China. In verse 4, the proud and wicked people of the world, remember this was the world at the time, the world's population, they said, let us build us a city and a tower. Then in verse 7, the Lord said, let us go down and, you know the rest, confound their language and scatter them all over the place. Who was the Lord speaking to when he said, let us Was he enlisting the help of his angels, I wonder? It seems far more likely that that it was a communication within the blessed Trinity of God the Father, God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. I don't imagine for one moment God was speaking to the the angel Gabriel, the archangel Michael and the other angels and saying, let us go down and, and... This was a communication within the Blessed Trinity. Similarly, back in chapter 1 and verse 26, God said, let us make man in our image. Was God speaking to his angels there in that verse? Hardly, for in the very next verse, it is written that God created man in his image. Not in the image of himself and his angels, He said, let us make man in our image and then God created man in his image. Work it out for yourself. These are verses that really do present to us the the Trinity. Father, Son and Holy Spirit. The action that the triune God took when he came down to that city that the people had made for themselves and which God called Babel, which means confusion, can be seen as a gracious intervention of God. A gracious intervention without which the world would have united more and more and more in the rejection of its maker, and in its worship of idols, and ultimately in its worship of the God of this world, the devil. All the all the idolatry, whatever it is, ultimately it is devil-worship. Alas, we're now living in times when the world is actively seeking to restore what we have seen taking place in the land of Shinar before God's gracious intervention, despite there now being many nations with many different languages. What many believe is emerging and becoming increasingly clear in the world is a global agenda to break down borders, to destroy the sovereignty of the nations and to merge all the kingdoms and countries and ethnic groups of the world into one people through supernatural uh, national authorities. In other words, authorities that are beyond national borders such as the United Nations, the World Health Organisation, the World Trade Organisation, the World Bank, the World Economic Forum, and there's many, many more of these organisations, organisations. The world's leaders, in doing the lusts of their father, the devil, who is a murderer from the beginning and the father of lies, are actively seeking to restore Babel. No doubt about it. Do you remember me saying some time ago, now a few months ago? Uh, you can check it out for yourself. It's very easy. It's still on um, YouTube. Some of the world leaders, including the Chancellor of Germany, assembled uh, at the opening ceremony of, a, of an underground uh, of a tunnel that goes through a mountain in Switzerland. And there was a spectacular show put on for them. And it was, the show was, um, it was demonic from start to finish. A representation of the devil and demons weaving in, in and out all over the place. And that show received a standing ovation from the dignitaries that were there, including world leaders. That's a fact. You can check it out for yourself. They are actively doing the lusts of their father, the devil. The fact is that ever since, well, sorry, let's be very clear that this world, this is a world in which the people and its leaders are united in their hatred of Christianity. They reserve their hatred for Christianity And more to the point, their hatred of God the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. The fact is that ever since sin entered the world by Adam, nothing has changed for the better with regards man and his rebellion against the one true God, the only true God. Think about it. It's already been noted that even though there were only eight people left in the whole world after the flood, The Lord God nevertheless said in Genesis chapter 8 and verse 21 I will not again curse the ground any more for man's sake. Listen to this now. For the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. The imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. God said that after the flood when there were just eight people left in the whole world. Adam and his family Therefore man's heart was evil before the flood, before the flood and after it. It's so much, it's so similar because we've already seen that before God gave the instruction to Noah to build an ark, we read in Genesis chapter 6 and verse 5 that every imagination of the thoughts of man's heart was only evil continually. And I made a big deal of that at the time when we looked at it. Not just the thoughts of man's hearts, but every imagination of the thoughts, hearts of the thoughts of man's heart. Not just evil, but evil continually. That was before the flood, no different after the flood, when there's just eight people in the world. No difference at all. Therefore man's heart was evil before the flood, after it and you would have to be extremely naive to imagine in your own evil heart that the imagination of man's heart is no longer as evil as it was, as it used to be and that at some time or other in history the imagination of the thoughts of men's hearts became all nice and lovely. Sometime in history it's all... Something's happened and uh, we've all got nice fuzzy hearts now. Not at all. The evil that was in man's heart before the flood is the same as the evil that was in man's heart just after the flood. It's the same as the evil in man's heart now, in 2022. The Lord Jesus Christ knows a thing or two about the thoughts and the intentions of man's hearts. After all, he is the Son of God. He has declared, for out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witnesses, blasphemies. It's not very nice, is it? It's not sugar and spice and all things nice. It's it's more like the slugs and snails and puppy dogs' tails, but it's a lot worse than that, isn't it? That's what proceeds from the heart. Dear friends... That has been a very fitting description of man's heart throughout history. Ever since sin and death entered the world by one man, Adam. That's how it was before, after the flood, and that is how it is now. No different at all. Although I'm sure we now dress very differently to how the people at Babel dressed. I don't know how they dressed. I didn't bother to do the research. I'm pretty sure it wasn't the same as... I'm dressed Now, for example. And I don't know how they travelled around and how they got to Shinar, the land of Shinar, but I'm pretty sure they didn't get in their, uh, their electric cars or, or anything else. And I'm sure they didn't have smartphones or anything else that we have today. There were obviously some big differences back then. But even so, when it comes to the wickedness of the heart, the idolatry, the rebellion against God, exactly the same, no difference whatsoever. And you'd have to, again, you'd have to be naive to think that there is a difference. Now, I say that because I do believe. Um, it doesn't give me any pleasure to say this, but I do believe that there are a lot of naive Christians, genuine Christians, but very naive. And uh, when you talk to them about sin, they don't seem to really have much of a handle on the sinfulness of sin. The sinfulness of our hearts. The sin that resulted in the Son of God, the incarnate Son of God being nailed to a cross, being lifted up to die as he poured out his blood at that cross. Terrible As he drunk from the wrath, uh, the cup of wrath and sin. Terrible. Sin is a terrible thing and it's always been in the world ever since Adam. um, Sin came into the world by one man Adam and with sin came death. As I've already mentioned, the top compartment of the ziggurat towers or those temples, such as the one at Babel, represented heaven. And the inner walls, in all probability, were decorated with the sun, the moon, and the five known planets, Mercury, Venus, Mars, Jupiter, and Satan, lined up along the plane of the zodiac. Isn't it interesting to note that even now, what is the emblem of Islam, for example? A crescent moon and a star. Isn't it also interesting to note that across the world people see what their star sign has to say for them in the horoscopes and some people won't leave their house until they've read what their if, if their star sign is favourable or not for that day. Again, nothing really changes. Pagans, the, the, the world is just as pagan now as it ever was. There is some good news. In fact, it is the very best news. Despite the wickedness of man, ever since that first sin came uh, into the world in the Garden of Eden, there has always been a godly remnant in the world. And by that I mean people chosen for salvation by God before the foundation of the world. And those people have been given by God to his beloved son the Lord Jesus Christ, who has paid the penalty at the cross with his own precious blood for all the thoughts of their wicked hearts, their blasphemous words and their wretched deeds. People like you and me. That sums up the remnant now, namely born again Christians. We are the remnant in this day and age if we are trusting in Jesus. Even though The remnant, you, let's stick with Christians, modern day Christians now. If you as a Christian, you you are a Christian, you're the remnant, the the believing remnant. And even though you were born into this world as a son or daughter of Adam, by the grace of God, you are now a child of God, uh, having trusted in the last Adam, the Lord Jesus Christ, who came into the world. And what do you do? You, you uh, by again, it's all by grace. You address God. You know God as your Father. These aren't just words. You really know God as your loving heavenly Father. And it's there's nothing more natural for you to say, the Father, to address God as Father, because He is precisely that. And you, as a Christian. You belong to a nation as well. We've seen how God dispersed the people, scattered them across the face of the earth and and then we saw in chapter 10 all those different nations and, and countries and kingdoms and who knows what. But you belong to a very special nation as a Christian, a holy nation, one that transcends this wicked world. It is a nation that is made up of all earthly nations and kindreds and people and tongues, or rather people from all earthly nations, kindreds and tongues, making up this one holy nation. Although you are in the world, the world is not your home. In fact, you are a stranger and a pilgrim in the world. God has taken you out of darkness and he has transferred you into the kingdom, not of Nimrod in um in chapter 10, verse 9, or any, any one of these pagans, God has transferred you into the kingdom of his dear son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And he is your king and he is your saviour from sin. About 2,000 years ago, God came down, but not as he did when he scattered the people at Babel, when he confounded their language rather he came down to be nailed to a cross and to be lifted up to die as he carried in his body your sins and the sins of all he came to save throughout history from the very first, first person who was uh, who ever trusted in the saviour that was to come into the world right up until the very last person that will be saved by the grace of God before the Lord Jesus Christ comes again. Jesus, he laid down his life for all whom his father gave to him.